This is episode number 179. What's the meaning of life? With Navid Izadju. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today. The second announcement that I'd like to make is in regard to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive, A Parent's Journey. This is an experience that we've been wanting to put together for a few months by now with the intention of creating a space for other parents to be able to come together and relate as well as understand each and every single one of the journeys that they've been on as well as the lessons and the takeaways that they've learned through the hardship including COVID-19, as well as some of the other circumstances. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Naveed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for choosing to be on here, and thank you for choosing to explore this topic that, as I mentioned earlier in the brief intro, we may not get the ultimate answer to, but... (laughs) It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> as, doesn't. as long as we're willing to explore and just fully be here, I think maybe that is the meaning of life, is just fully being here. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think part of right fostering that meaning is just storytelling. The exact reason why we're on this podcast, why you know we're here to share our narratives with one another is what's the story we tell each other? And um, if that isn't you know fundamental to meaning, then I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself asking that question? Not even maybe necessarily what's the meaning of life, but why does a certain thing exist the way that it does? Because I definitely do. And mm-hmm. I can't say that it only happened in the past. It happens every single day. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. I, I get <laughs> Whenever I wake up, the first question is, why does this exist the way that it does? Mm-hmm. And I get curious in that because even with this question of what is the meaning of life, in my opinion, I don't know if it's truly possible to get a concrete answer to something that is so rich Mm -hmm. and has so many different perspectives and so much of it is unknown and unplanned. 
Mm -hmm. How so do you approach that? Do you, do, you, do you get faced with the question like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so much of it is understanding what does this mean to me, right? Because I think one thought, one experience, one moment can mean a million different things. And the important thing is having the self-awareness and I think also the understanding to know what is this meaning to me and what's the impact it's going to have for me. And a lot of that is exploring, right? There isn't a fixed answer there. There mm -hmm. isn't a multiple choice Scantron answer that you have to choose. It's it's something you're supposed to ponder. And in my mind, it's always been kind of a continuous process. What something feels to you in that moment as being meaningful might change over time. And that's completely okay. Mm -hmm. I think for the longest time, I would get fixated on having to have the explanation or the answer to things. And I think that's just such a human thing. You know, we fear the things we don't understand. And so we're constantly in search of answers. And I think doing that actually puts a hurdle in front of you in terms of finding the meaning. Mm -hmm. um, really, I think the meaning comes from being present. And, you know, we talk about mindfulness and we talk about what it means to actually be in the moment. And, and a lot of that is how you can create meaning in something as little as, you know, waking up and, and just getting your mind straight for the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think part of that thought of wanting to find meaning is that a conditioned way of thinking or is that something that's actually maybe part of our dna and somehow ingrained within us yeah wow what a thought um i mean i would have to say a little bit of both i i, I can't tell you if there's an answer there other than it really does stem back to one's experiences and you know i i think just how aligned one might be with their own sense of consciousness i think that kind of plays a role in in how we foster that sort of meaning. So, you know, when I think about my own life, you know, I, I probably would say I started asking what's the meaning from a pretty young age. Mm -hmm. um, I am the product of immigrants, parents who escaped a revolution in Iran in the seventies. And growing up, I, I kind of knew this story, this backstory from a young age. And I always asked myself kind of, what is the meaning? What was the meaning of, them escaping this, is it just survival? You know, is it giving their kids a better opportunity in the future? Um, you know, asking that from a young age, I think plays a different part than someone who might start asking themselves the, the meaning of life at the age of 40. Right. Um, and so I can't help to say that lived experiences is a huge factor and and whether that's conditioned or, or not, but um, when we start really provoking that question to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in knowing a little bit about kind of your story and your background, I know that you have you've been through quite a bit when, mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, <laughs> the rich experiences that life has to offer. But the one thing that I get curious about, well, many one of the many things, but this concept of experiencing events that are quote unquote planned and that mm -hmm. you expect compared to events that happen or otherwise are known as black swans or are the unexpected or less anticipated ones such as i mean right now we're 9 11 right. you know there's a, there's a date that's marked forever in history around that particular event um, there are certain events when it comes to earthquakes and other catastrophic experiences in your case like how do you process the two and and mm -hmm. how do you how do you what is the meaning that you choose to carry forward with you 
when it comes to both sides, you know, the planned and the expected, and then something that just completely happens out of the, out of, out of the blue. Wonderful question. You know, I, wow. You know, I think that's an ongoing question and, and one that I always ask myself how I find the meaning in, but really what it boils down to is in that moment, you know, what are those feelings that come up initially and, and why, why are they there? You know, when I think about the planned moments and how they've brought me meaning, it's like you, 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 you see everything come to fruition all at once. And in that moment for me, it was when I was abroad in Spain for a year and I was at this bar and I guess this was a mix of the unplanned and the planned, but you know, I met these two girls and, and they just seemed so sweet right off the bat. It almost felt like it was planned and we're having this wonderful conversation they were both italian and they asked me they said hey navid you know this has been a kind of a wonderful opportunity to get to know you um we're four or five italians and we're signing a lease the next day and we you know we kind of need someone to to fill in the last room any chance you would want to come live with us and you know i i said yeah i said screw it you know i'm in spain and this is part of the reason why i'm here is for new experiences. And, you know, the next morning I woke up a little hungover and I couldn't believe that I had just committed to go sign a lease with five people I'd just met at a bar and it seemed so <laughs> risky. And, uh, you know, I, stumbled, I I just ran into the leasing office a little bit late the next morning and I signed that lease and 10, 11 months later, they became my best friends and they're people I keep in contact with every week and who I consider as family. And in that moment, right, the idea of going to Spain and studying abroad for a year was very much planned. Encountering a couple of Italian students at a bar and, and signing a lease with them the next morning was definitely unplanned. And, and in those moments, right, I, I just think to myself, part of it is just, again, being present, right? Like what the meaning we decide to create in those moments is very much how present we can be. And if we're willing to take the ebbs and flows of life and, be okay with it and not fight the energy, but almost fight to see where the alignment is and how we can be one with it. Even in the catastrophic events, you know, you mentioned earthquake and, and today being 9-11, you know, this time back in 2001, you know, I was, I was trying to remind, remind myself and remember, you know, how did I feel when I was six years old and 9-11 happened? And I think I repressed a lot of it because one, it was such a devastating moment for our country's history, for so many people and so many lives lost. For myself being, you know, American-Iranian, thinking, you know, how will I be received the next day at school? Do I even want to go to school? You know, will people judge me moving forward based on my name? And just pondering all the what ifs. And, you know, it's it's just crazy to me because when I look back on it, I, I can't remember a whole lot other than the majority of the anxiety I felt was all internal. Like it wasn't as much external facing as it was what I was creating for myself. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what we kind of go back to when we think about meaning is too, is just what you're creating for yourself in those moments. Um yeah, does that make sense, Oleg? How, how does it, that think with you? It does. Yeah. I, I think for me, and what, what it makes me think of is that a lot of it falls back to the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's the story that I choose to create about certain experiences 
there's this concept that there are many concepts that really never sat well with me. And I felt that it needed to have an expansion of them in order for them to make sense. One of them is knowledge is power. I don't fully believe in that because I think it's knowledge with action is mm. power. That's something that took me experience to understand the other concept. The other concept is this. Um, there is a reason why everything, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, everything happens for a reason as long as you choose to give it a reason. Mm. Otherwise it just happens. It just <laughs> happens for the sake of set happening. Right. And right. so what I've realized is this concept of choosing to look at life through the lens of it's all based around the story that I choose to tell myself. And then, I mean, that it, when you talk about kind of the thought that you and I had, what what's original when it comes to even the mm-hmm. thinking, I think it's, it's identifying the origin within me and understanding that that story around what life is begins in, inside. So I, I do believe that there is a slight correlation between life is what you make of it. And then there's also a portion that life is what life is. And that's right. just the unexpected, the unknown. I mean, Absolutely. and maybe there's a question that you and I can also explore this concept of control. You know, how mm-hmm. much of life do we think actually, we can actually control? Because right. let me tell you this. When I wake up in the morning, and in most mornings, one of the first things that I think of is kind of a challenge or an obstacle. I didn't create that. Or did I? Mm-hmm. Did I create that in my dreams? <laughs> I think you might have created it. and. And I think we're, my perspective is we'd be remiss to think that we don't. And, it, and this isn't a concept of free will or not. It's just, I mean, our realities are the manis- manifestations more or less of our thoughts, our dreams, our our feelings. And to a degree, we can guide those. We can shut certain ones off and we can, we think sometimes we neglect them, but I think they're very much who we are and, and they kind of surface you know, in moments where we don't expect as a reflection of the experiences we've had. Yeah. I, when you talk about control, you bring up an interesting concept that, you know, I, I studied in psychology and love and it's the locus of control and how some people tend to feel a lot of control over their lives. They think they they have a lot of autonomy to, to do the things that they want. And, and when bad things happen, they feel like they're accountable for them. And it, it had to have been something that they did. But conversely, you know, when they want to achieve things in life, they feel completely in the driver's seat and they can take a head start. And that's called an internal locus of control. Whereas those who are external locus of control, they're constantly thinking that the world is happening to them, that the environment is dictating their lives. And Mm -hmm. I think that concept is important. I don't think internal or external is right or wrong. I think what's important is that we ask ourselves, where are we on that spectrum? And understand where you are so that you can be more cognizant in moments where you might be more internal facing when honestly life is just happening to you, yeah. or you might be more external facing when there's some onus on yourself to, to kind of understand what you're enduring, what you're experiencing. And I also get curious sometimes is, is what is the point of knowing where it's coming from or what it is? And I, mm-hmm. I think that goes back to ownership. So when you talk about the unexpected moments, one of the people that's watching right now, his name is Brian Forsyth, mm-hmm. and he actually mentioned um, an introduction to you here as well, and he mentioned some of the remarks. But mm-hmm. even the way that him and I connected was he has a podcast called Radically Unstuck, and it was a conversation that just happened almost by chance. 
You know, mm-hmm. one person introduced the other, and and then from there, it's like even how you and I are having a conversation. Right. There's someone else that chose to kind of take a step back and say, "Hey, it would be really cool if these two paths aligned." <laughs> now, whether or not that person knew what was going to manifest out of that, I don't think there's any way of knowing. Right. But I think there's a lot to be said between choosing to embrace life for what it is. And I know that Janin is another one that is currently watching and mm-hmm. um, engaging with a lot of this. But that's the whole point of what we're choosing to discuss is how much of this experience do we think we can control? And the, mm-hmm. the question that I initially kind of addressed this concept of ownership, why is it important to know that I own a certain thing? or I own a certain thought. Is it kind of based on a chapter that you might be in in life? And the reason why I ask it is because of this. I've had times in my life where I felt that it was important for me to know that I owned certain thoughts. And so when someone would say something down the line, and I would interject and say, hey, I said that, or that's my line. Now, Mm -hmm. in complete honesty, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And that, and that's what I get curious is that, is there a point in life where you get to where the amount of information that you've consumed is become, it just becomes too difficult to articulate. Where is that? Who said that thing to begin with? Right. Some of the things that are said to you also happen during random conversations. So are you going to be reciting that cop or citing that coffee conversation Mm -hmm. that you had with someone? Mm-hmm. 15 years from now <laughs> you know what's the importance of it and i think that's the question is like what is the importance of knowing that you own a particular thing in life rather than just embrace it for the fact that it just happened absolutely i think when we look at ownership through that lens it's i couldn't agree more with you in the sense that i mean even the most original thoughts that we have are very much based off other people's original thoughts and the, the the kind of the history of it will never end. And part of it, I think is just want for oneself, right? Like if you feel proud to have expressed that thought or to, you feel like that came from your own lived experiences and that's something that should be important for you and you only, that shouldn't be something that you hold other people responsible for. And, and I think when we think about when you you're comfortable with that, that just, I think everyone's on their own journey there, right? Because I've met people who are way older and and they'll take severe offense if they feel Mm -hmm. like someone's regurgitating something that they originally said. And I've met people who are young and it could be the same story. And so I don't think age is a representation of that. I think it's ultimately our own kind of peace that we come to. Because it sounds like when when you mentioned it, right? Mm -hmm. You've kind of found your peace in that. that Yeah the thought and the feeling right there, it, it can't just be my own. And even if it is, what's the importance of that, right? Like, yeah. do, do I feel a sense of pride there if, if I have that? And is that pride misleading? And so I think we're all on our journey there. And I think this sense of meaning of life and the experiences that we have within it, in my opinion, it comes from a collective. Mm-hmm. It comes from a collective experience through which we share different elements of our journey through our stories. Mm -hmm. And that's how I can gain greater meaning of my own life. I don't know how long it took me to understand some of the things in the, I guess you could say basic language that I understand it. Now I used to complicate things because I felt that 
and I look back at it now and I'm, I think I'm able to articulate it. Why? But hmm. I, I didn't have certain experiences in my life that allowed me to simplify them. Hmm. So at the end of the day, it really does become a collective. It does. That's a collective of experiences, collective of shared perspectives. It, it completely does. You, you know, I, it's funny that we're having this topic about the meaning of life. My, my senior seminar in college was about the psychology of meaning. And we read this amazing book by Emily Esfahani called The Power of Meaning. And she talks about these four pillars as the root pillars of how to construct meaning in your life. They're belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. And I think my mind gravitates more towards the transcendent piece when I think about meaning. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're talking about, the sense of community is, and these shared experiences is that piece of belonging, is understanding that a lot of meaning making is how we share that in relation with others and how those experiences can kind of create something that extends far beyond that one moment or that one thought. Uh, you know, for myself in my own life, my parents, you know, when they came to the States and they eventually got married, it wasn't always about love. You know, there was these elements of gaining citizenship and just survival that kind of existed mm -hmm. within their own lives. And growing up, it was a very dysfunctional household because of that. And there were times where it was very verbally abusive and at times things were physical and the home environment wasn't always, you know, the, the safe haven and the place where I could relax. And I found a lot of sovereignty and a lot of comfort in, in the families that I was surrounded by and the way they kind of would take me in. And this, this sense of kind of a surrogate family was something very present for me at a young age. And if I didn't have that, right, like so much of the experiences, so much of the meaning making that I was making would have just been through the lenses of my own life. Mm -hmm. And through the lenses of what I thought I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. But when I had the opportunity to kind of share what I was going through with other people, with, with a community, a larger community, well, then the meaning that I was seeking and the meaning that I was constructing was completely different. And now incorporated the perspectives of the lived experiences of someone who's 55, 60 years old, right? And how they in might interpret what I am sharing with them through the lenses of what they have experienced. And it, that goes back to what you mentioned about shared experiences, but it also goes back to that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. I think it's huge, paramount for when we talk about meaning making. What kind of impact do you think hardship has had in your life? And especially when it comes to this concept of creating meaning of your life? I mean, I would say it's, it's the catalyst there, right? I mean, if without that sense of hardship, um, you know, without things being tough as rocks we don't we don't see what it could be right and, and we, they truly we, are <laughs> yeah, tough as rocks. yeah and and i think a lot of that hardship right like some of it it doesn't really matter if we feel like it's hardship that affects our lives or if it's self-inflicting even because i think it's worth acknowledging that some hardships in life can be very much self-inflicted but i think they're they're what give us the power to to move forward more more than anything and when I think about some of my biggest hardships, you know, I think ultimately they're a reflection of, I, I can't help to feel like a lot of it was self-inflicted, even though I know the root cause of it was, you know, some, there were situations way out of my hands, you know, growing up in a, in a household where things would, 
would feel like it was always at a tipping point and you know things would always kind of explode i i dealt with a lot of aggression and anger that would manifest in different ways society would reward that aggression and anger you know through platforms of sports like football and, and mixed martial arts which i did as a young adolescent but then it would punish it for when i'd get into fights at school or you know fights with people and, and those sort of hardships of i think finding one's identity and understanding why we might act in an uncharacteristic way in a way that we don't see ourselves you know that sort of uncovering what is going on in, in our life ultimately in my mind and in my experience led me to ask bigger questions of you know who do i see myself as as a human being right now and who do i see myself becoming um and who do i want to be and so the hardships are they're the wind that the trees need to grow the stress wood as i mentioned to you uh -huh. in, in a previous conversation they're they're what give us the, the power to grow and to to really actualize what we might see for ourselves in this world you bring up so many good points i think the one in particular that i personally haven't looked at through this lens but how the society chooses to reward certain experiences this concept of violence and anger and aggression. So in high school, I played soccer. And one of the things that I learned very quickly through that experience was the concept of making the perfect pass. And trust me, when you did not make it, you there were multiple people from that team <laughs> that let you know when it was not a good pass or not a great foul. <laughs> but I think there is a lot to be said between looking at life and society through that lens and understanding what are we rewarding mm. even this whole concept let's think about it in sports winner or loser mm. that translates to every other experience beyond sports after yeah. those things are done so if you think about it from a perspective of how many of us go pro i mean that i don't know what the number is but it's very very small right so for everyone else all all other 12 or 15 kids that don't get to go pro from those teams, mm -hmm. what ends up happening right. is that they go into the world, myself included, and I start to perceive some of these things from a win or loss perspective. Mm -hmm. Our relationship didn't work out. I'm a loser. Or something worked out great. Great. I'm a winner. I had to win more. I have to outcompete. I have to beat out everyone else that's in the race. And that's a very different way to look at life. Right, completely. I mean, when we when we take on that polarized lens, we make it really hard on ourselves, right? Because mm -hmm. then there's only two answers: you either win or you lose. And life, like you mentioned, is not that way. I mean, it's there's it's filled with gray area. That's what life is. And it's funny you mention this because when I was in high school, you know, I wasn't I wasn't someone who was studious. I wasn't someone who, you know, showed up to all my classes. I I kind of thought of myself as a failure in that light because I struggled with buying into the idea of an education. And for the longest time, I was always comparing myself among my peers and I couldn't help to feel like I was a loser, right? To some degree. That wasn't to say that, you know, I was a loser, but we, we tend to look at life through the same scripts that we apply for things like sports. And, you know, ultimately what was so liberating, what was so 
just impactful for me more than anything was taking that onus and saying, you know what, you're not a loser or a winner. You're someone who's on this journey trying to figure out what winning and losing might even be. And part of doing that is just being present, right? Being very present. And I started to reevaluate for myself what education meant to me. Is it a door? Is it an opportunity? You know, is it something that I was given that my parents never had? I mean, they had to leave their country when they were super young and they didn't have the, the opportunity to pursue an education. And so a lot of it was also just saying, okay, well, what does winning look like for me in my world, right? Let's take these concepts of winning and losing out, but let's let's change them. Let's give them new meaning and new values. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it because, you know, for me personally, I went from someone who struggled in school, who didn't find value in school, to someone who went to college and had a double major and a double minor and was learning three languages. And I don't say this to sound pretentious. I say this to, to come off and, and show the importance of changing one's own perception and not taking on other people's perspectives and their own definitions of what, you know, winning or losing or education or competition should be. It's a lot of it is just creating it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think once we're able to do that and define that for ourselves, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, there's, there's no end. It's funny that you mentioned that because as I look back at my own journey of having to go through schooling, so in middle school and high school, I was one of those kids who had received comments on the report card, such as talkative or disruptive, when in reality, all I was just trying to do was just create a deeper bond, deeper connection with some of my peers. Hmm. But yet the structure didn't allow that. And the structure didn't receive that as behavior that one follows because it was perceived through the lens of it's impeding the progress of the school. What I realized over time is something that you touched upon. It's a very valid point. And that's the importance of choosing to pursue your own questions in Mm -hmm. knowing that the answers that you may receive are going to require a slightly different format and slightly different way of doing it. Now I look at life and this is the best form of education I've ever received. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm truly interested in the topics, in the conversations versus I think when you're given a structure and a system to follow, right? it's very difficult, or at least it was difficult for me to understand what is my interest because I felt that I was controlled. Mm. My path was controlled. And, I, and that's where I think control does not have the most positive impact because it you're not at least for me, I didn't feel empowered. Mm. You know, whatever decision I make, it has to fit on the box. Right. There is no decision that can go outside the box. Because if you go outside the box, well, in college, you're going to have one extra year and that's going to result in 50,000 additional dollars you have to pay. <laughs> right. And that and that's the challenge. Just like, how do, you, how do you create a system where you empower other people to think on their own and to ask questions that they genuinely want to know answers to? compared to the questions that someone else thinks you should know, when in reality, that person's perspective and lived experience could be completely different from anything that you encounter in life. Anything, like any subject, any profession. I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? It really is. Because, God, if, if, we, if we 
gave people more autonomy to, to really find that for themselves at a young age, right? I mean, think about how many problems and issues that eventually arise would be mitigated and mitigated not in the sense that they wouldn't arise anymore, but even when they did, someone would feel maybe more in control of creating some sort of meaning around that and, and yeah. understanding, you know, letting that interest and that kind of motivation and, and creating something there guide them. Um, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I want to ask you, Oleg, too, when you think about this concept of the underlying motivation, right, the, the need to, the interest, if you don't have that, is it possible to really buy into anything? I mean, you mentioned it with your with the education system, but I think in other areas of life too, if, if we don't have that underlying feeling that's driving us, I mean, I've always experienced it as it being really hard for me to, to make sense of something or to want to buy in or to show up. Mm -hmm. If that itch, if that drive isn't there. Has that been I think it's extremely challenging. I think it's extremely challenging to do so because if, if there's no, at least my experience had been, if there's no inspiration or that inner motivation to get going, how do you start? Because a lot of the processes, when I think about different things that I've been able to learn and encounter in life, it really does start with this overwhelming sense of energy that just gets you there just to take the first step. That's it. And then from there, I think what ends up happening is beyond the first step, you get um, insights and um, I don't know what I'm trying to break down, like <laughs> what, what is the path of life here? But there's so many other things that come into your toolkit yeah. that um, enhance the motivation mm -hmm. component. So I think there becomes a, a point within my journey where it's not solely based on motivation, but maybe even strategy. But to initially start off, I think motivation is a huge component. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have no desire to learn a particular thing, how are you ever going to start? Right. Period. Like, how, how do you begin that journey? Especially when there is no strategy placed. You don't know what to even strategize around. I, oh, like you bring up something so, so pertinent in my mind, which is the times where I've, I've felt the worst, like I'm talking rock bottom. Mm -hmm. it really it really hasn't always been sadness it hasn't always been you know this feeling of like something tremendously wrong has happened to me and i'm dealing with those feelings because even then i think some there's something really powerful about still having the opportunity to feel and even in those you know those worst moments where even when we lose someone that sadness that's felt is is a privilege in my mind the worst thing that I've ever experienced is numbness, is not having any sort of feeling there because that's that's when you don't have the desire to continue in life. That's when you don't have the desire to, to do anything. And when you're just existing and you're not living anymore, right? I mean, that's what I'm kind of tugging at here is even in the worst moments or the greatest moments, at least we feel a little bit alive. You know, we feel like we're there. And, and to me, the death of life is not having that motivation, not having those feelings, that sense of numbness. Um, that for me has always been, in my personal opinion, what's kept me kind of limited or stagnant in, in a moment where I know that there's so much more I could do, or there's so much to still understand about, you know, what I want to do. And I'm curious to just know if you share a similar perspective or if that's 
may be completely different than what you feel. I do. I do share that similar perspective. I also share the perspective of, I believe, the ability to think is a privilege. And I've learned that many, many times over and over again. And so I, I would be lying to you if I said that I was always like this. Mm. <laughs> At this point of life, I'm a combination of however many books, videos, conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beauties of life is the privilege to experience those things because not everyone is able to do so. And even when you spoke about sadness, and that's something that I want to kind of throw the ball back in your court, but mm. you talked about sadness being a privilege. Mm -hmm. Expand upon that. Why do you think that is? You know, sadness is a privilege because it always, sadness even in, in its deepest form, I think creates the opportunity for introspection, for reflection, for meaning making. I mean, there's so much that comes through sadness. Um, when I was younger, uh, right around the time of 9-11, so 9-11 happened, and I remember just having, you know, the world, the world was shaken. And two, three months later, my mom got news that a huge earthquake had hit her hometown of Bam in Iran, mm -hmm. and 45 relatives uh, were killed, 45 relatives that I never had a chance to meet. 45 people that were aunts and uncles and cousins of a huge family, right? I had this huge family and, and I felt a deep sense of sadness because I would never have the opportunity to get to know them, but I could never even begin to relate to my mom's sadness who had lost so many relationships. And if I'm being, you know, completely vulnerable with you, having to go back to Iran and go into that rubble and into just the collapse and have to find her relatives and and deal with just a type of sadness that I think few will ever ever endure endure and and a type of sadness that's hard for me to even voice. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I look on that feelings of that those feelings of sadness that she had and that I even had in those moments, and I think about what's kind of come out of that, I think about the value that I've placed on family that. While it's always been there, you know, there's a yearning now for me to, mm -hmm. to meet, to be a part of that family that I never got to, to meet now in Iran. And it motivated me to go back to Iran and to meet a lot of my family members. It's, it's allowed me to also have conversations with my mom that I think I would have never had. Um, to be able to just even kind of unravel what those feelings meant for her and, and how that led to, a life where she knew she had to move on and to make sense of it, even if there was no sense to make out of it. Yeah. And so sadness is a privilege because many of us, when we feel tremendous loss, we neglect the feeling of sadness, right? We, we try to numb it. And I think that's, that's a horrible thing. It, it, it sometimes is needed in order to, to continue um, and to move forward. But at the same time, there's a huge opportunity cost there, which is, the meaning making that really comes out of it. Mm -hmm. I think there's meaning within everything. And I think one of the things that took me a while to learn, however long a while is, but this concept of there's no meaning in suffering. And what I realized over time is that there is meaning in suffering. There's meaning in hardship. You know, when shit hits the fan and you go through it all, and then you, the ability to, I think, go through that journey and say, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And not even necessarily trying to prevent it 
in the upcoming times because I, I don't even I don't know what I believe about that process as far as what can you really prevent when it comes to these events that might have repeated themselves over and over again. But this concept of choosing to look at hardship and adversity and suffering as opportunities to do a deeper dive into my own lens and understand things that I may not have understood before. You talk mm -hmm. about family. For me, one of the things that I took for granted for however long <coughs> is, is my family. You know, my parents in particular. Mm -hmm. I felt that because they were there yesterday and they're here today, therefore they will be there tomorrow. But that's not ultimately the case because there, there's nothing about tomorrow that I can control. Right. And so I think it is in those moments where I'm able to take a step back and understand what is life to begin with hmm. and where am I within it? Now there's something that um, a friend of mine and a mentor has shared with me and she said, be whole in all of your relationships. And it's such an important point because, A, you don't know when your last day will be. And so with that said, why hold anything back? Mm. You know, in the case of your parents and your family, if there are things that need to be said or expressed in whatever way you know it, whatever the language you have now, mm. that's the only time we got is right now. And I know it's kind of a cliche at this point, you know, living the present, living the now. Yeah. It's almost to a degree where it's like misunderstood. Like, what does that, yeah. <laughs> what does that even mean? And right. Like this other buzzword, authentic. Right. I think it's, it. they're becoming buzzwords. Wow. And it. that's where it goes back to something you mentioned. You got to question it for yourself. What do those mm -hmm. things mean for you? Not for how the society chooses to define them. Right. And how they've been commercialized, right? Because that's, I think someone saw a profit in those words and the rest was history. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is, is right. What, what are those definitions for ourselves? I, when you talked about, you know, just the, the essence of life and how it's, it's finite and how you have to express those sentiments when they arise you made me think of a really important moment in my life where I really came to terms with that, which was, it was over a summer and it was, I would say about four or five years ago, I worked at a summer camp and I had this amazing, amazing kind of role model and friend who was four or five years older. Um, he was an identical twin. I am an identical twin myself. And we would bond on the fact that we were both twins and it wasn't for many months that he, you know, for many months he he would kind of reserve, he would he would become reserved on certain topics when we'd start talking about twins and I never understood it. And then one day he shared with me that, you know, he lost his twin three years ago. And it was such a traumatic experience for him that he would struggle to bring it up or to even acknowledge it. And so it was crazy for me in that moment to realize, you know, that he'd never kind of mentioned that, but it also... I respected that and, you know, so forth. And, and from there on, we kind of had that relationship where I knew and, and we'd had that conversation. And one time I was on the phone with my identical twin brother, Omid, and Omid and I were talking and it was just a normal conversation. And I was like, all right, you know, sounds good. Like agree to disagree. It doesn't really matter. I'll talk to you soon. And I hung up the phone. 
And my friend Todd, who you know, he was there and he was standing there and just kind of, kind of looking at me in a really troubling way. And I was a little lo- at a loss at why he was looking at me that way. And I was like, "What, Todd? Like, what's up?" And he goes, "I want you to pick your phone up, and I want I want you to give your brother a call. And this time, when you finish up your conversation, I want you to just tell him that you love him. Do you love your brother?" And I was like, yeah, like, of course I love my brother. It's all right. Then I want you to say it. I don't care if you both are agreeing to disagree. I, I don't want you to lose out on that moment to tell him that you love him, even in the simplest conversations. And there was something communicated in that moment, right, that far extended the words that he was using, mm-hmm. far extended the, the message of just even saying I love you to a loved one after a phone call. It was something that, right, it seemed like it was – years and months of endless reflection on something that had happened in his life that struck a chord in me that I would never forget that moment. And so I gave my brother a call back and I just told him I loved him. And that transcended something within me that reminded me how precious these moments really are and how precious my relationship with my own twin brother would be because who am I to know how long our relationship will last and, and we'll be here together on this planet. And yeah. um, that shared experience, right? Going back to shared experiences and the power of them. Yeah. And there's something to be said, I think, also in regard to not even necessarily how you want to be remembered, but how you will be remembered. Because you never know in that case who goes first, right? You never know if this was the last day for you or if that was the last day for him. And so there's something that I think you have, you would have to live with as an individual that, that takes me, I, I can't say that I'm fully there 100% of the time, but I'm, I'm definitely trying to be that in those situations. So especially in situations where I know that something needs to be said, but I'm holding it back because I don't want to offend the other person or hurt their mm-hmm. feelings, or, or they may not be in a state where they can receive it. Mm-hmm. But then I have to remind myself that that's only my perspective. That is solely my story, period. Wherever they're at, however they're handling it, they may be in the best possible place right now in the midst of a hardship right. to hear the fact that I might have felt neglected in a particular connection or friendship or relationship. So there's there's something to be said between that. And one other thing that I would like us to maybe go into for kind of closing yeah. thoughts to this conversation, but the importance of choosing to preserve the relationships that are now because here's the thing and this this is um i'm not even going to say uh in all honesty because i have been honest the whole <laughs> the, the whole time but this concept of creating different friendships you know such as the one like you and i are experiencing and some of the other people that i met the challenge i face is this is that in growing networks and communities <coughs> as the number increases <laughs> the time you spend with each one decreases. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to be and I don't, I can't say I've cracked the code. I don't think I ever will mm-hmm. in understanding how do you preserve every single one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to that, I think there's, there's something to be said about structure and it's choosing to create some sort of parameters where every week I'll connect with this person every Wednesday or every Monday Mm. Um, and that's just the recent thing that I started to do because other than that, it, it, what I've learned is that in preserving some of these connections, which really to me 
that's what life is. Mm-hmm. It's the relationships. It's the experience. Yeah. That's it. Like really, mm-hmm. I'm here to solely experience, and I'm here to share it through mm-hmm. whatever the form of service looks like. Oh, like you you made an amazing point, and you provoked a, a great question, and I think you already had answered it earlier. And I think the way we show up, even in those limited, you know, frames of time, and as we meet more and more people, the the opportunity to to bond and to get closer with them diminishes, and the way we still show up is to be whole, right? Like you mentioned, is to come up and to to be whole and to be. I mean, we don't have time for for bullshit anymore. Like you, you have to be cognizant of how precious that time is, even right now. And it reminds me of one of my favorite mantras or quotes that I, I constantly tell myself, and I told myself before I even got on this podcast. Um, and I've paraphrased it, but it's knowing that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And as and I'll just say the whole quote and then I'll dive into it. Um, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others won't feel insecure around you. Mm. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in one of us, but in all of us. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give permission for others to do the same as we are all liberated from our own fears. And the important part there that I really want to resonate with the audience and with you is letting our own light shine. And that to me is synonymous with being whole, with being very present, right? And being in the moment and having some sort of plan or structure there, but knowing that the beauty is going to be found in the unplanned and, and in the moments that kind of arise spontaneously. Yeah. Um, that's how we're whole, right? Mm-hmm. That's how we're whole in those moments. Yeah. Choosing to show up and just be who you are, regardless of what the circumstances are. I think that's a key component to it. Yeah. Need, what's the best way that people can connect with you and do me one other favor? And that is mm-hmm. pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Navid Izadju, Navid Izadju. And uh best way to connect with me would be on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and uh, I'm an avid user and always on. So happy to connect and expand on, you know, your story and hear about different perspectives, because that's, I think the beauty in all this is just learning more about the shared experiences um, and ultimately, you know, happy to connect and, and discuss other things as well. But uh, just wanted to give you a huge thanks Oleg for having me on and giving me the opportunity to, to share these kind of wonderful ideas and thoughts with you and to not have necessarily, you know, a full thought out plan, but rather to take it as it comes and, and be grateful for that. I think mm-hmm. that's the special, the specialness in it. It is. And I appreciate you for sharing this space to begin with. And for anyone that's listening, please connect with him because I, I mean, I, I'm not even going to try and summarize it, what the connection has done for me. Words don't truly don't do it justice in this case, but there's something to be said between meeting another individual <coughs> who thinks like you and challenges you in other perspectives through the level of questioning that you do. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it's a rare thing. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen often. I, I always make a point in acknowledging the fact that 
so many of the things throughout my life, so many of the activities that I do, such as let's say go grocery shopping or get a coffee at a Starbucks, whatever it is, these are not normal conversations. These don't take place in many of the situations. Now, one could argue is that you're not actively looking for them. Therefore, they're not happening. But mm -hmm. I am actively looking for them. Right. And so I think there's a time and place for everything. And I think there's a time and place for these conversations. So for anyone that chooses to connect with you, I encourage them to do so because that's what I've received is that this hour, you know, there's something to be said about who you are, mm -hmm. the how you are when it comes to being grounded and the level of understanding that you have in life. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, ultimately, you, you, the, the quote I said about letting your own light shine, I wouldn't have had the confidence or the desire to, to share my story and my thoughts if it wasn't for seeing your own light shine. And, you know, and that's what I think is most important here. And I hope sticks with everyone is we give people permission to, to show up and to be whole and to be authentic when we do that ourselves. Um, so thank you, Oleg, for paving the yeah. way and for giving the platform. Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.